at gmail.com. And thank you for all of you who have emailed us. We love getting emails from you and opening them. And um, so... What a heartfelt thank you. We love opening them. <laughs> Let me start over. <laughs> thank you to everyone. <laughs> you can't laugh. We just love <laughs> opening emails. Okay. <laughs> Megan, please. Why did I agree to let you be the one to wrap Seriously. it up? Like, I knew I, I knew this would happen. I got through the whole thing. I'm crying. <laughs> <laughs> I have to cut so much of that. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Let's bring it in, guys. Bring it in. Megan has uh, 15 minute increments here. We don't have much. We're moving into your next increment, Megan. Um. <laughs> uh. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Rachel, mother of two with my Montessori infant toddler certification, ages birth through three. Here with Laura, mother of one, with her Montessori certification in lower and upper elementary, ages 6 to 12. And Megan, mother of two, a certified lower elementary teacher, ages 6 to 9. Let's start by catching up. What has everybody been up to this week? Laura, do you want to share in first? Yes, I will. I will share. So this week, I booked my tickets. I'm going back up to Vermont to see my parents pretty soon. And a lot of our listeners, we actually got a lot of new followers since I last shared this. Welcome. What? I just said welcome, new listeners. <laughs> oh, like Megan, we already started the episode. <laughs> like Megan is five minutes behind. When Megan, I got it. I was just it. like being very polite and you just looked at me like, what? Okay. Why are you even speaking right now? This isn't your turn. Shut up. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Megan. Welcome, new listeners, new followers. Uh, catch you up real quick on the drama. My dad has had some super serious health issues. He's got, long story short, with doctors think is basically like a very sudden and aggressive form of MS, multiple sclerosis, and has just been losing faculties left and right. And it's just a, a scary time. And there's a lot to navigate. My youngest sister has been up there helping them since I left over the summer. And now it's my turn to go back up for just under a week and just kind of spend some time with them, checking on how everything is going. And I'm very much looking forward to that. But also, as you both know, it's really a whole different ballgame when you are leaving behind your family. Mm -hmm. yeah. We're officially now in a place in our lives where our parents and siblings still very much feel like our immediate family and we're very you know, beholden to them and making sure that they're doing well and being involved in their lives. But we also now have grown our whole other new family. We have husbands and children and it's hard to step away. Yeah. It's hard to step away for a good chunk of time like that. But yeah. How long are you going to be there? You know what? Honestly, like a Tuesday through a Saturday. So not even 
a super long time and she's at school, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? In the world of a two-year-old, it's a long time. That's the thing. In the world of a two-year-old, it is a long time. In the world of the parent that is solo at home with the two-year-old. Oh gosh, it's an eternity. (laughs) It's a long time. So yeah, yeah, that's my, my big sort of like all-encompassing thought process this week has been booking the tickets for that trip. Now I have to like actually prepare for this trip, Mm -hmm. make sure everybody's okay and successful without me, which of course they will be. But yeah, that's kind of my big thing. So it's bittersweet because of course I'm excited to go see my parents and this is like, this should be a just very beginning of peak foliage season up there, which is like heaven on earth. But of course there's also some, you know, a little bit more heavy things that, that we'll be dealing with. So it's bittersweet, but that's it for me. How about you guys? I can go. I feel like we're just riding the wave over here and still getting used to this like new normal. You know, I am battling my toddler for naps. He comes home from school so exhausted and I literally feel like I'm wrestling an alligator to like get him in the bed. He just, he comes in so amped and I love it because we're at this stage where he can literally tell me everything about his school day, which is so fun. Oh, I love that. But then like he's in his crib singing, okay, friends, okay, class, let's (laughs) sing the next song. And I'm like, how about (laughs) no? He's leading circle in there and he needs to be laying his butt down. Yep. So like I've I've gotten smarter. I'm like, okay, I'm taking his lunch in his pajamas in the car. We change in the parking lot. He eats on the way home. We come in and he goes right to sleep. But still, like some days he's just like so clever and it's like, I'm just gonna not go to sleep quite yet. Just not yeah. quite yet. But we're figuring it out. And when you have two kids like that nap, oh of course my gosh. with any parent you that has a napping child, like you need them to nap, but when you have a baby, like you need yeah. that older one to nap, like, dear God, please sleep. And in my head, I'm always like, she's got to eat. My boobs are about to explode. She's got to eat in like 30 minutes and she's going to start screaming when she wakes up. So I need you to go to sleep right now. And I'm starving because I haven't fed myself. And Of course, of course. Yeah. It's just all the things. I'm still figuring out. Being a mom of two is Woohoo, a lot. I thought going back to school for him would be like super helpful. And it is. I mean, I have this morning time now. But yeah, it's still a lot, a lot. It's no small feat, Rachel. It is no small feat. Now, Megan, I give you permission to go. Thank you. (laughs) So I don't remember what I was going to share in because I almost died like a few minutes ago. And I need to talk about it more, even though I literally FaceTimed (laughs) Rachel from my car and then also have been talking about it for like the past 10 minutes before we started recording. Let's process it. Let's process it together. What happened? I need to process. So I dropped my kids off at school and then I got the biggest coffee. Look how big this thing is. So this is not a venti. This is a Trenta. Whoa. It is 30 ounces of caffeine um (laughs) i didn't even know they came that big i didn't either there's one bigger folks so what anyone out there not sleeping like me go get it anyway (laughs) get it and so i was driving back to get on this call and i was rushing because i had to stop and do some errands and blah 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 whatever who cares but i stopped in my driveway to get out to run in to get on this call 
and there was a three foot long snake in my driveway. So I I usually go through my garage and I couldn't go through my garage. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to get around this snake to go through the front. And I contemplated just sitting in my car and waiting until it just decided to leave and like be somewhere else. But you all were waiting for me. And I just want to say that I put my life at risk for this podcast. <laughs> for that non-poisonous snake. For a rat snake. Hey. Hey. Cut that, Laura. Nobody needed to know that. Don't downplay the life and death situation that Megan narrowly escaped. She was ready to live in her minivan for undetermined amount Which of Which I can do because it, it's so spacious and there's so many cup holders. Please tell us again about the glory of your minivan in case the new listeners don't know. They don't know how great your minivan is. So anyway, I went around the snake, just barely survived it. And that's the dedication I have to this podcast and to all of you. So you're welcome. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. Wow, that was an that was an emotional roller coaster. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna also say that I did not make it to the recording of this interview that we're about to listen to. Good point. Although I'm very excited to hear because I have been stalking, <laughs> just kind of stalking Becky for a very <laughs> long time on Instagram, but. I'm just saying, like, you're welcome also that you don't have to listen to me because I obviously have had way too much coffee (laughs) and have, like, personal problems. You have, like, an adrenaline and a caffeine rush going right now. I do have an adrenaline rush. (laughs) You're going to crash so hard later. Oh, gosh. Okay. You're going to crash so hard. (laughs) Also, I like how you tried to downplay that real quick. I've been stalking, like, lightly stalking. What did you say? Gently stalking? Kind (laughs) of stalking? It doesn't matter. You already let your full creep out and... (laughs) That's a good point that we are doing an interview immediately after this little Sharon that Megan actually at the time was not there for. So Megan, I don't know if you want to once again invite everyone to get in their time machines or however, whatever weird way you put it last time, but you're going to hear all three of us in the beginning and the end and then three of us in the middle, but one is a special guest. Yep. Welcome to the future. <laughs> I don't know. Let's just let's just let's just move on. Let's just do it. <laughs> okay. All right. So today we are thrilled to introduce a guest. We have a wonderful guest today. Her name is Becky. Becky runs a beautifully brilliant Instagram page called Our Montessori Garden. We cannot wait to chat with you about Montessori outdoors. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you for agreeing to be here. We're always genuinely shocked when people <laughs> agree to come be on the show. It really means a lot to us. So first, let's just start with just getting to know you a little bit. So tell us about your experience. What was your kind of education in your childhood? And what was your experience? And how did you find this philosophy? Yeah, so I went through mainstream education here in the UK. Um, I think it's really rare in the UK that people will go through a Montessori system. If they do, it's private education. So for me, I didn't come to Montessori until I was 14. Um, And I I always knew that I wanted to work in early education. So at 14, I volunteered through my holidays at my local nursery, which happened to be a Montessori children's house. So I was completely blown away. It was incredible. And I was so lucky because I think Montessori provision here is so variable. Um, you know, you know, there are no standard requirements around what a Montessori setting needs to be, but I really landed on my feet 
practice, I entered an environment in which they followed the methods so precisely. And yeah, I was completely awestruck. Um, so I kind of decided then that Montessori was going to be a big part of my life. And my ambitions at 15, 16, were that one day I was going to open my own Montessori setting. And since then, Montessori has been a really big part of my life. So it didn't happen. But I went on to create a Montessori setting. I haven't done my Montessori training, I should say, at the outset. I went on to do a bachelor's in education and then a master's in education. And in that, I focused on early years in particular. And wherever I could, I focused on the Montessori method. So although I didn't have my training, whenever I had an option to specialise in a particular field, I always picked Montessori. I was lucky enough to get a few more experiences working in Montessori settings as I went through there. Yeah, and from there, so for my master's in education, I focused on quality and early years provision. And from there, I started a career as an educational researcher, focusing on what factors make an early year setting really high quality. And that was really nice to look at in line with Montessori to think about what are the things that across settings in the UK are really coming out as those factors which make the setting so high quality. And of course, a lot of those are things that we see as standard in a pure Montessori setting. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can relate to that too, Rachel, because Montessori is not like trademarked, copywritten. I don't really mm -hmm. know what the right word is for it. Almost any type of childcare facility could slap the title yeah. Montessori in there. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are truly practicing the philosophy. I love that you found it so young though. Like usually people find it maybe in college, maybe after college, maybe becoming a parent later down the road, but you found it at 14 and you were like, this is it for me. I was so lucky because it changed my perspective on everything at that age just I think it really yeah, does yeah. yeah not just on education and what education can do but also on the child so yes mm -hmm. exactly what children at even this young age are actually capable of and I think once you've seen that once you've witnessed children operating in a monastery setting you can never look at children in the same way again you're always going to consider them as, <laughs> as more competent than you would ever consider them before that's the beauty of Montessori isn't it definitely 100 percent. I yeah. just saw a post the other day I think maybe she was responding to a comment on her account asking could you define Montessori and she did just this beautiful job of saying that it's not a wooden toy right? It's not the materials on the shelves. Montessori is so much more a philosophy that it's so much more that is respectful to a child that treats a child like a human being and that assumes that they are so much more capable and competent yeah. than we otherwise give them credit for. And when you start to see the world that way, you change how you see children, you change how you see yourself, you change how you interact with others. I mean, I think it's really important. I think those layers. So I think when most people these days come to Montessori is perhaps through Instagram or similar where they're attracted to the shelf and the beautiful wooden toys. And actually, I think that's great. It's like, let's make Montessori more mainstream. And then as people buy more into the method and learn more about it and read more, then you actually realise the beauty sitting behind that. So whether that is how we treat the child, how we prepare the space, how the adult prepares themselves. And still for me now, you know, the more you read, the more you learn about one story, I'm just in complete awe the further and further I get into it. Yeah, definitely. To me, at least as a parent, it's like life-changing. As a teacher, of course, it was amazing and I love practicing in the classroom, but I feel like it's even more of a gift as a parent too. Absolutely. Can you share with us more about our Montessori garden? Yeah, of course. So I am very new to social media and I came to social media in the pandemic when I think we were all feeling quite isolated. And it was just a place where I've 
I've got two young children. I've got two boys and they're now one is 20 months and one is three and a half. So I had a baby in the pandemic and I also had a very young toddler in the pandemic. And I think social media just gave me a connection in a way that I hadn't had that before. And I think a different kind of connection as well, because obviously like Montessori is so much more common in social media than it is in day to day life, particularly where I am in the UK. So you can actually meet with like minded parents in a way that you you just can't day to day. So for a long time, I was just a consumer of social media. And then I decided, actually, there is probably something I can contribute here. I found that there wasn't a huge amount out there about the interaction between Montessori and the outdoors, when actually, you know, it's a really fundamental part of the approach. And actually, the things that we'd implemented in our garden, I was finding that locally with parents that came to play, there were a lot of ideas that they were taking away. And I was working with friends and people locally on how they could introduce things into their own space. And so I decided I would give it a go on social media. Our Montessori garden was created. And what we try to do in that space is just share ideas, inspiration. It's called our Montessori garden, but I'm always keen to say that it's Montessori inspired because Montessori at home isn't the kind of pure Montessori that you see in a setting. So I think a lot of what we do might not be considered pure Montessori, but I guess it's outdoor play in your home that is inspired by the ethos of Montessori. And that's what we share. I love it. I would say just from what I've seen scrolling through the account, it is absolutely rooted deeply in a lot of the really core and most important parts of Montessori. And I just want to circle back to your point about the outside element of Montessori getting so neglected. I feel like you're the second guest now we've had that really takes this philosophy and brings it outside, not in a classroom, not on a shelf in your playroom, but taking it outside where we are supposed to be in nature. We had our amazing guest, Nicole, with the Montessori Farm School out in Texas and the fact that they are outdoors all day, every day, pretty much regardless of the weather. And I remember from my training what a huge part of being in nature truly is to developing the child. And it's interesting, before we started recording, you were talking about how you were almost forced to take the philosophy outside because you living in in the UK, the living spaces tend to be smaller, right? Like space is at a premium. So you can't have these massive, glorious playrooms inside. So you went outside into the garden, the yard. I love that you guys call it gardens. We call them yards. We only call it a garden if you actually have like literal flowers growing in this one specific part. The rest of it's just the backyard. (laughs) But that you had to go out. You had to go outside because that was where you had more space to even implement the idea of like a shelf or something that would be risky play or a gross motor space or something like that. So I just think that that's so great that you did it because you're like, well, this is the only option that I have. And we're sitting here like, oh, my gosh, I never even thought of that as an option. (laughs) I mean, for us, we live in a house that's 300 years old. And oh, my God, that's so cool. Yeah, the space inside, you know, we have smaller rooms. I mean, don't get me wrong, we have our shelves and our practical life work inside. But outdoors just offers so much potential for us. So, yeah, I just think we'd be crazy to neglect that. And also, I mean, coming right back to what you said about Montessori and it being at the heart of the approach, I think it is a part of the approach, which is often quite easy to forget. Mm -hmm. So I think Maria Montessori would encourage that actually children have free flow access between the indoor and the outdoor environment, that it isn't just blocks of time in their day that they're allocated to being indoors or outdoors, but actually we follow the child and they are able to decide when they spend their time indoors and outdoors. And I think often... 
the practicalities of that can get in the way. So whether that's the practicalities around the weather, around kind of getting children prepped to go inside, and that might be for hot weather or cold weather or anything in between, mm-hmm. just the practicality of providing that kind of free flow from an indoor outdoor environment. And I think it is something that is actually perhaps easier to implement at home than it might be in a setting. Actually, I think in homes, we are kind of uniquely privileged to kind of work that out for our children's needs. Whereas, of course, in a setting, it can be a bit more complex. So how do you come up with your ideas and your inspiration for your outdoor spaces? I mean, looking at your Instagram, like everything is so beautiful and I just want to do it all. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess there's a few things at play here. So I think me and my husband are a really good team. So obviously I have the background in Montessori, but his background is in landscaping. Oh, perfect combo. There you go. Yeah. (laughs) So he's worked in landscaping his entire career. And for a big portion of that, he specialized in outdoor play. So we have been able to build on a lot of the experiences that he's taken from things that he's done for work and actually think about how we might implement them in the garden. So we spend so much time planning our garden space together and it's nice. But then if I were to speak more broadly, I think... We need to start thinking about our outdoor spaces in exactly the same way that we think about our indoor spaces. So if we go back to fundamentals, you just start with the child. So you start with the child in front of you. You think about their developmental needs in that moment. You think about the materials that they're using in their indoor space, where they are really trying to push their developmental bounds. And then how can you extend that in your outdoor space? What can you do in your outdoor space, which is either, I mean, achieving that same thing or stretching it in a way that you can't in an indoor space. So once you've got that as a basis, and for us, I guess we're not in the outdoor space, we're not just thinking about the children where they're at right now. We're thinking about where they're at right now and where they might be in three months, six months, a year's time. But that's the starting point. Then the outdoor space itself. So I think inside, most Montessori parents will think so carefully about what areas of the home are the areas of the home that they're going to make most accessible for their children. And that might be from a practicalities perspective. So in the kitchen or in the bathroom, how do we introduce stools? How do we make parts of our home accessible? But also it might be a playroom or a shelf or just an area of a coffee table where they keep their materials. And I think as Montessori parents, we generally think so carefully about that, about the needs and about the activities and how we so carefully craft our indoor space. Exactly the same can apply outside. So we started with a blank canvas in our garden and we started by thinking about what kind of spaces do we want our children to have? What are their basic needs and how, you know, where can we accommodate them in the garden in the same way as in our homes? I found in talking to Montessori parents that that is a bit of a different way of thinking about garden play. I think garden play can often be considered in quite a one-dimensional way, traditional garden play, swing sets and so on um, whereas if you kind of reframe your thinking as the garden being an additional room that you've got access to in your home and how do you structure that room to meet the needs of your child yeah I love that because definitely I mean in my mind like we have a swing set yep. and we have a sandbox and we actually have a really nice shaded backyard that I could do so much more in but that's definitely just kind of what my mind has gone to. And you're right. I have my inside set up, his shelf and all the things, but it's definitely not another Montessori environment. It's not a full on extension. Like it's just kind of there. 
Yeah. But I love that the approach there is we just start with the child, like follow the kid, right? That's, that's the number one message. Follow the child, observe what they're into inside and figure out how to extend that into the outside where you might have more room to push that boundary. Or like you said, at the very least, just replicate it in a way that's like, you know, weather safe. So it can just live outside. I love that. That's so perfect. Then that also makes it feel like, oh, I can do that. That I've already been, and a lot of our listeners have already been applying those concepts to setting up their indoor space. So just take that same logic and bring it outside. I guess my immediate question though, before I even get into the listener questions, my question is, how are you kind of outfitting that shelf to be able to be outside all the time? Actually, I've often found when I'm looking for a particular material that I want to take outdoors, I mean, often there are actually completely weather resistant options that you can yeah. leave outside. Often I am surprised by what's available that I've you know, just found because I've looked into it. Um, and then the last thing, which I think is perhaps the most important thing that I haven't mentioned is at the most simple level. I mean, we take our puzzles outside. We, do, we take them outside all the time. And in the dry weather, of course, that's the most simple. So we have a surfacing in our garden. We have a small area of an AstroTurf surfacing, which is perfect. We've, we've introduced it because we know you can bring in, when it's dry, you can bring out materials. It's smooth and flat. So that's where we do our work. If it's slightly damp outside, then we have, I guess, the equivalent of work mats, but they are water-resistant work mats. So, you know, if the ground is a bit damp, but it's not raining outside, then you can still take your puzzle outside. And failing that, we have small um, plastic trays that we take outside, um, kind of the equivalent of a chowky type thing um and we we do our puzzles on there so i think even if you can't come up with a creative alternative in your garden just bring that indoor work outside does that make sense not only does it make sense i'm like embarrassed that i didn't think of that myself because i just went through two years of pandemic teaching where we were trying to be outside as much as humanly possible and so what that often looked like was a lot of the families they brought in like a cheapo yoga mat type deal right something that can get wet and they could go outside with a material and put it on that yoga mat if it were damp or muddy or whatever and they would just do their work outside and then you bring the work back in so yeah i'm totally sitting here thinking like it has to live outside it's the outdoor space but it doesn't have to live outside it could travel back and forth right and i'm looking at your spring garden shelfie from may and pretty much all the materials on here i mean like you have little like log circle cuts that nestle perfectly onto a dowel so obviously those could sit outside indefinitely you have a little scooper soil seeds combination so you just practice planting you have little plastic animals and little like animal prints to match with it those are all totally weather resistant the only thing i see here that maybe you would need to bring in at the end of the night are some books yeah so our shelf is made of vintage apple crates which i think are quite a universal thing i'm almost certain that you can get them in the states as well as yeah 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 we we picked them up so cheaply here and they are weather resistant so we've we've had them out in our garden for two and a half years now they're not really showing any signs of wear and they just they work really well they're just very adaptable and yeah i fully recommend them as an outdoor shelf option so on the book point that you mentioned in particular it's so important to us that we take literacy work outside with us and that often isn't material that is weather resistant so the stories that our son wants to read at the moment are often things that we just can't leave outside in the rain or the cold so we have a small plate rack that we keep in a cupboard beside our door we store some of his favorite books there and then when we're going outside if it's a fine day he can bring the plate rack out we put it onto our shelf and we can read those stories in the garden but 
As well as that, we've also explored some options of things that we can leave out in the garden all the time. And I think that actually is quite important. The reason it's quite important is often it's kind of spontaneous literacy work in the garden. So it might not be that a son is specifically thinking, I'm going to go out in the garden and I want to read a story. It's that he's kind of out playing in the garden and he picks up a story. So I really love things that can just be there waiting in the environment for him, even if he hasn't chosen that when he's, he's going outside. So the two main options that we found work for us are, first of all, the Indestructibles books, which actually they're sold as baby books, but I do find that a three and a half year old still really enjoys them. So they're very open books. They're mostly just pictures. So I do find they can be quite discursive with an older toddler. They can talk about what's happening in the picture and he likes to tell the stories to his baby brother. And then the other option is that we get duplicate copies of books, um, in particular short stories and poetry books, things that are summarised on one page and we laminate those sheets. And actually the laminated sheets, they don't last forever in the rain, but um, poetry in particular just works so perfectly for this. So we've got some picture poetry books that we have a second copy of, we chop the pages out, laminate them, and then kind of have those poetry cards in the garden. And I can't recommend that more. It just works so beautifully for us. And we do so much more poetry work outside in the garden than we do in the house. I love that when you are outside in nature. I mean, what better time to be feeling poetic? I love that. And so much poetry is based on nature. So you can really find there is a lot of seasonal poetry, a lot of poetry. So when we're growing daffodils, we have the daffodil poems out and you can link it to everything that they're doing. And it just, I think it makes poetry just kind of a part of day to day rather than something that's a formal thing that you're trying to force on your children because you know that it's good for the um, <laughs> literacy. Yeah, Way more effective when you're not forcing the laminating it. too. That's such a good idea. I know. Simple, but yeah, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we do have some questions from listeners. So the first one is, do you have any tips for providing opportunities for children to play outdoors when the weather is wet or cold? I'm guessing just kind of meaning like not ideal, not super comfortable, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I would generally say as long as children are comfortable, they are happy playing outdoors, whatever the weather is. So point one is make them as comfortable as possible. And the way that we make them comfortable is with their clothing. And I'm not an expert on outdoor clothing, but I would say the expert, from my perspective, is Linda Erkerson, the author of the book, No Such Thing as Bad Weather. That book is incredible. And we recently did an interview with her on our Instagram. And that is definitely worth a listen if you want to learn more about outdoor clothing. But she gave us three parameters that she said we should be thinking about when we're thinking about clothing. So first of all, think about the weather. And it's obvious, but the colder it is, the more layers you need, the wetter it is, the more water resistant it needs to be. That's point one. Point two is... The activity that your child is going to be doing. So the more active the child is going to be, the thinner the layers you need to have. So for a highly active child doing gross motor work, they need a wicking base layer with lots of thin layers on top that they can gradually take off, as an example. And then the third factor that she said we should consider is duration. Mm. So if we are just popping outside for a 10 to 15 minute play after dinner or after nursery, Even if it's wet or cold, we can be a bit more pragmatic with clothing. They're not going to be out there long. So generally, we can just think about a robust outer layer for either cold or wet on top of their standard clothing. We don't need to overcomplicate it. 
if you're going for a full half day outside or you're going for a trek somewhere, then you need to think more seriously about layering and everything that goes with that. Yeah. So I really, I really love that framework that she gave us. And actually that's what we, that's what we apply, those three factors. And then once you've got your children comfortable, I think there are things that you can do around the activities that you offer. I think this is really different for wet weather and cold weather. So if I kind of go through the two separately, so in wet weather, again, as long as a child is comfortable, wet weather is an absolute dream for a child. I mean, this is nature's water play. Yeah. Water play and rain is nature's way of providing them that. Yeah. I would say for wet weather, embrace it. So wet weather is the weather for water play. It is the weather that we will get out our water toys, get out your containers, get out your water blasters, go puddle jumping, just yeah, embrace the water. And the second thing that I'd add there is if you are comfortable with the cleanup, rain and mud are such a great combination. So rainy day is also our mud play day. And just that is when I've seen children that are absolute happiest when they're playing in rain and mud. And the last small one for wet weather is bubbles in wet weather are so, so good. I think they just don't pop quite so quickly. They work so well. So we often also get bubbles. Oh, I never thought of that one. I'm going to make a note. Bubbles in wet weather. Okay. <laughs> good to know. And then, um, this is a long answer, I know, but if... No, I'm loving it, please. <laughs> So cold weather, again, I think there's kind of two fundamentals. For cold weather, I would generally say reduce water play right down. Like no one wants to be wet and really cold. So in our garden, as we enter late autumn or the winter, we remove all water equipment out of our gardens. Just There's just no point. I mean, there are probably exceptions there, but on the whole, when it's very cold, we are not going to be embracing water play. We're also not going to be doing a lot of fine motor work in the garden. So when it's really cold, your children have got thick gloves on you know, they're not going to be wanting to pick up small seeds or do threading work. Actually, what they need is physical, maximum effort, gross motor work that's going to get them moving, that's going to keep them warm and make them want to stay out for a long time. So we would be thinking in the winter, as long as it wasn't icy, balls, hoops, things that you can make assault courses with, bikes. Um, We've got some really big hollow blocks in our garden which are just brilliant for cold weather because they really have to exert themselves to lift them around so all these big things that are going to keep them warm and practical life work is great in the winter so digging is really good it keeps them warm it requires a lot of effort when it's cold leaf raking in the autumn sweeping all these kind of things that just kind of keep them moving so that they're not going to be standing still getting cold i guess people are in very different climates so we don't get a lot of snow frost here um so i'm not really going to be an expert in talking about but here when we do get snow and frost very similar to the rain we are embracing that weather so snow days are snow play and frosty days it is actually utilizing the ice and there's a lot of fun waves that we utilize the ice here but i mean we don't have it for a really huge portion of our year i just want to say i have worked with elementary aged kids right specifically lower l so six through nine year olds and i am pretty sure they don't feel cold like they hit that playground on days where it's like in the teens you know temperature wise fahrenheit and they are like they're sweating they're asking if they can take their jacket off and i'm like what i'm cold just looking at you they come to school dressed in shorts and tank tops and they're super comfortable so i don't know what it is about children's inability (laughs) to actually feel cold 
But I definitely will say the wet. Megan and I used to joke all the time when our toddlers were babies that the fix to any issue, no matter what they were upset about, was just add water. Water play, being even just in the sink, let alone outside. Last night, it started torrential downpour right after dinner. And my daughter's looking out the window. And you can see that she's getting excited because she realized it's like really coming down. And she's like, Mommy, can I go get rain on my body? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's go. We still had like, I don't know, 30 to 60 minutes before bath time. So I also knew we were winding down our day. So she needed to go outside and get wet and muddy. Big deal. The next step is the bathtub anyway. And she played out there peacefully and happily for the entire rest of that time, rather than it being a struggle in the living room to sit down or or get into a work or do anything at all other than be bouncing off the walls because she's tired. It's the end of the day. Now we're negotiating if we can watch yet another episode of Paw Patrol. And I'm trying to say, no, it's like just go outside. Like the weather was not ideal for me as an adult, but the water's not gonna kill me and it's gonna make her so so happy. Yeah. So I just love that your answer there is who cares? <laughs> Get out there. Also, I super love that you gave a bunch of really like practical activities and dressing guidelines to make it as comfortable and safe as possible. But Megan made a great point in the risky play episode about how a lot of times we as the adult need to sort out like what is our hang up? What's our trigger there? Because most of the time that we're not willing to let them get into that kind of play or be in that kind of weather, it's it's not them. It really has nothing to do with them. It's something that... Yeah, yeah we have to work out in ourselves. Like, why are we uncomfortable with it? So, Absolutely, I can agree more, yeah. So those are some great tips to make sure that your kids are physically comfortable. And, you know, once you're past those steps, you've got to figure out why are you not comfortable with it and maybe push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit for their sake. I agree. All right, next one, best toys for outdoor play. Yeah, we, we get asked this so much. And I always start my response with, what we discussed previously in this conversation about taking two steps back, having a look at your child, taking into consideration their development and where they're at, thinking about what they're pushing towards indoors and how that translates to outdoors. So I think fundamentally it's hard for me to give that advice because in the same way as indoors, if someone were to say, what are the best toys for indoor play? We would just say... Depends on your kid. Well, it depends on your child. Yeah. It depends on their age. It depends on their interests and their developmental needs. So I think coming back to that and equally, again, coming back to the prepared environment, because I think instincts, when we're thinking about toys for outdoor play, as we've already touched on, often people are thinking about these big ticket items, kind of the swing sets, the climbing frames, the slides. And actually, I would say as a first step, if you are starting from a blank canvas, actually kind of scale back your thinking a bit and just start to think about things that are more flexible, that can evolve with your child. I mean, if you've got a large space, don't get me wrong, like swing sets and climbing frames or slides are amazing. You know, they, they yeah. meet a developmental need that indoor things can't in the same way. So they're still incredible. But if space is at a premium or if you're just starting, there are, there are a lot of other more simple things that you can think about. So with the condition that it depends on your child and their developmental age, I'm just going to work through some things that I think I would be suggesting as a starting point in terms of outdoor materials. So first of all is loose parts. So starting with small loose parts and outdoors, there's a lot of loose parts in nature. So that might be sticks, top recommendation, shells, pine cones, conkers and in particular for us um small wooden blocks weatherproof wooden blocks 
actually they are the kind of materials that will meet your child where they're at so depending on what they need for their development so for our toddler and um, they will post pine cones in holes in various things that we provide for oh my god pine cones are like gold <laughs> for my toddler yeah definitely yeah. of course and then it just evolves as they get older so for our three-year-old the pine cones are the basis of maths work it's the basis of imaginary play they i, I think loose parts just offer so much potential and actually outdoors there are many options but not just small loose parts my kind of second recommendation of these parts would be to be thinking big like what large loose parts would you be comfortable having in your garden it depends on space of course but when I talk large loose parts in our garden we have got tires planks large crates and these really large hollow blocks that I've mentioned before and the beauty of large loose parts is that you can get the kind of physical gross motor challenge of some of those fixed structures that actually retain an element of flexibility. So depending on the age of a child, a tire and a plank can be used in such different ways. And we have really seen these large loose parts kind of evolve as our three and a half year old has grown. And so that would be, they would be kind of top recommendations for things that would grow with the child. And then as well as these parts, I, I think the next kind of category of things to think about is almost like a sensory base. So what sensory bases are you going to want in your outdoor space? These are things that typically we might not have in our indoor environment. And when I'm talking sensory base, the, three, the main three for me are sand, water and mud. So I think, think about your comfort level, think about what you're prepared to deal with. There's no point putting something in your garden that you're going to be restricting your child's access to. So yeah. you need to think carefully about that. But I would be saying think about having at least one of those. My top choice would always be water followed by mud and sand. Next category of stuff for the garden, this is a lot I know, but is then to think about practical life and tools. And if we're going really basic, I think every child needs a spade and a bucket for the garden. Like yep. just you need that. Yeah. If you have the budget and the space, I would also add a wheelbarrow. I mean, wheelbarrows and toddlers is just it's just a perfect combination. A leaf rake for the autumn and a sweeping brush for any time of year. So they're my garden tools. And then last of all, which I guess is the thing that most people are thinking of initially, but if we then think about toys, mostly I would say any toys that your child enjoys indoors that you're happy to take outdoors, that works. But there are a few specifics. Balls, like get some balls for your garden. Everyone has them anyway, so I'm not saying anything revolutionary here. <laughs> Bikes and ride-ons and... The last one is perhaps a random one, but I just think a large, high quality truck. Like children like trucks in the garden. So mm. as yeah. toys go, I mean, there's nothing complex there, but they're my, they're my three. And we specifically love Tonka do a range of huge dumper trucks. And yeah. they are just garden perfection. They yeah. have, they're, they're so flexible and so weather resistant. So. Yeah, those are a staple up on the toddler playground too at our school. There's yeah, always they're always driving those things around like crazy. And we have a couple of wheelbarrows that maximum effort yeah, work. Yeah, the wheelbarrows like are awesome too. Yeah, huge. Yeah, I love all of those answers because the vast majority of those are either free found in nature, like sticks and pine cones, or very very inexpensive to acquire. And again, Montessori always has this reputation of being so expensive. Yeah. 
And so just impossible to do on a normal budget. Like you have to be super privileged to be able to implement any of it. And I think all of those answers prove that it doesn't have to be that way. So thank you. That's great. Okay, the next two questions kind of combine, I think could be combined because they're both just revolving around safety outside, yeah. right? So the first one is how do you keep kids safe outside while still allowing them to explore? And this parent was thinking specifically in terms of like snakes and, you know, bitey, dangerous insects. And I don't think where you are, you have a lot of yeah. scary, venomous wildlife, but like where we are, <laughs> there certainly are species. Yeah. I mean, there have been baby copperheads on the toddler playground before, which is like the, wor the worst kind of snake to run into as a baby snake. And then the question following up right after that is balancing safety concerns with reasonable risk and letting them get hurt. And so again, hopefully if you're listening to this now, you've already heard the risky play episode where we're talking about sort of weighing the risks at all times. But what's your take on that? So just the idea of being outside yeah. where it seems it feels like it could be more dangerous. So how do you sort of deal with that so I'm really conscious that you're just doing an episode on this and I, I have to say that I'm I'm not an expert in this I'm not an expert in risky play so I can just I can just share how we approach it and the resources that we've used so for me on this topic the source of all knowledge is Angela Hanscom and her book Balanced and Barefoot it's, it's incredible and it's absolutely worth a read if you're committed to outdoor play and worried about hazards so I love the framework that Angela sets out for risk in outdoor play. And actually, even without reading the book, we did an interview with Angela and that's on our Instagram page in our videos. And we focus specifically on this with babies and, and risky play outdoors for babies. But the framework that she gives is to begin to think about the difference between hazards and risks. She defines a hazard as a threat in the environment that we couldn't reasonably expect a child to be aware of and to be able to manage for themselves. Hmm. So the snake example is a perfect one, but it might also be poisonous plants, poison ivy, shards of glass, things that they are not going to be aware of but pose a serious threat to them. On the other hand, a risk is a threat in the environment the child could reasonably be expected to recognize and moderate for themselves. That distinction is going to depend entirely on the child. So what is a hazard for a 12-month-old baby may not be a hazard for a three-year-old child. So there isn't going to be one fixed definition here. Also, you touched earlier about the parent and I think also our own perceptions, our own boundaries and our own limits come into play here. So those things that I might define as a hazard, someone else might just define as a risk. So I think this is a very personal thing. So I'd kind of say in approaching outdoor play, I think in our environment, we do actually really carefully think about what hazards have we got and how are we going to manage those? So that might be restricting access to certain areas of the garden we've got a well in our garden which is like a, a deep body of water right that is a hazard that our children simply are not allowed access to that area of our garden is fenced off and no one goes near that so that's that's an example for us if you live in an area with snakes I don't know how to manage snakes and I don't know whether it's that they'd be in one part of your garden or not but it, I guess you would need to think about 
are there any safe spaces in your adult area where the snakes will not be there that you can confidently so it is our responsibility as adults to eliminate those hazards while retaining those risks that our children can moderate so in our garden the risks that we retain we have got some paved steps going up to our messy play area and from the children being quite young actually we have decided that they don't pose a significant hazard actually from quite a young age they could assess the risk there and they could choose to manage those for themselves another example that i pick in our garden that we're asked about a lot is muddy play so i think there's a lot of worry about like mouthing mud and the dangers that are associated with that so for us to decide in muddy play what is a hazard and what is a risk we first of all educate ourselves. So the soil, the ground in our local area, is there anything that I really need to be concerned about? Just understanding for ourselves, just reading about mud and impacts. And actually, the more you read about muddy play, the more you realise that actually there are far more benefits and there are risks really from an immune perspective. Then we check our mud for hazards. We make sure there isn't any glass. We make sure there aren't any animal droppings. We are removing hazards from that space. And then we think about our own personal limits. So for me personally, I am totally comfortable with muddy play unless they start putting mud in their eyes or there is active continued consumption. And that's my limit. That's my hard line. Anything outside of that, I will step away and I'll let them play. But there is the hard line at which I'm intervene. That was a long answer to the question. Well, but I, I, love that, I love that we shared this because this is like the perfect follow up to if you listen to our last episode on getting dirty, like that this is like the perfect conversation to kind of extend that and share your views on that too and not us just talking about it. What I really love the idea of categorizing. So like risk has kind of this like umbrella term, but there's a difference between hazard and risk. And I love that you're also not just qualifying hazard as like life-threatening, but also hazard is something that we cannot reasonably expect the child to be sort of responsible for and adapt to versus a risk is something that you should be able to sort of prep them in advance. And this is what we talked about a lot in the last episode, a scaffolding to get to that place, making sure that if they're getting into a position that they need to learn how to get out of, that they've gotten themselves into it. You didn't put them into it, all that kind of stuff. I think the hazard is what most parents are more concerned with. And I love that you made a point to say hazard and risk look different to each parent. Like what I call a hazard might be a risk to you and vice versa. But just like preparing any other environment, it might require you to go into that space and, you know, use a stick to clear out the areas where little snakes could curl up and take a nap. That Just that as the adult, just like in an indoor space, you might need to do a little work to prepare for the outdoor space to not be full of hazards. I mean, you probably went around your living room and plugged up all your little outlets. So your barely crawling baby didn't stick their fingers in it. So you could go outside and look for the same kinds of things. I think the reason it's so important in a Montessori inspired home as well is that, of course, we value that independence of the child selecting their work on the day and deciding where they want to focus their time. And I think I want to be able to step back and allow my child to lead. And I don't want to be there hovering over them in their outdoor time. Because if you are there hovering over them for the full time that they're outside, you won't see that same kind of engagement in the materials and the work that you see indoors. Because well, we, we all know, I mean, it, you know, of course, a very different kind of, of work and play will happen if you're there very close to your child all the time. But in an ideal world, yeah, in that outdoor space, it feels like the ultimate goal is that you can happily have an outdoor space that you would let your child independently access. Yeah, that isn't achievable for a lot of us um, 
me included because of the world situation <laughs> but but that's the ideal and I think that is that is what Maria Montessori saw in kind of her classroom settings that was the ideal that she set out mm-hmm. yeah another great reminder that the goal is for them to be able to interact in that space independently yep. yeah so if you have to hover then do what you need to do to make sure that the space is safe for them to be independent I love that tip Yep. Um, all right. So speaking of maybe not having a lot of space to prepare, the last question was, what would be your essentials if you only had like a balcony as your outdoor space, right? So maybe you're in an apartment, don't really have a yard. You're not really sitting on property per se. What would be your like must haves? In a way, it follows on from the last question, but if you have a balcony, which is secure for your children, you actually almost have a dream setup because you have kind of a small contained space oh, yeah. and you're able to give free flow indoor outdoor access so I would say if you have got a balcony and actually you can secure it and you can feel confident in that space then utilize it as an extension of your indoor environment so I would be thinking if I was lucky enough to have a balcony I would be kissing it out with a work table or a work mat of some kind that my child can pick up their puzzle or their game and actually they can opt to go and do it outside if they want and that would be the main thing that I'd be thinking about here that you are in this lovely position that you can have that kind of free flow and then of course thinking about those it, we've spoken about the outdoors in terms of extending what you can do inside and the unique benefits that the outdoors can give and you can get a lot of those unique benefits I think even in a small space so I would start by thinking about practical life so there is a lot of outdoor practical life work that you can do even if you have the tiniest of spaces the obvious one is plant growing and care so you can get boxes and containers where you can grow plants you can grow vegetables you can watch them develop in a way you can have a much closer relationship with these growing plants because if you have got this free flow indoor outdoor access then then the children will be much more connected to what's happening with those plants window cleaning would work deck cleaning actually great practical life opportunities just just with our balcony space then nature opportunities even if you've only got a balcony I in terms of like the prepared adult I would be thinking okay I'm gonna step out into that balcony space and see what nature can we access just from this space and it, it you know that will vary but I have no doubt that for the most part people will be able to see the sky it, you know, it's like yeah. the sky you will probably be able to see some kind of vegetation, whether that's trees or some plants. And hopefully, if you're lucky, there will be some kind of wildlife that you're going to be able to spot. And I think once you've identified that, you've got the basis there for kind of nature work that you can do, things that you can focus on. And I know we follow the child, but actually following the child is you know, identifying those nature opportunities that you can actually really take hold of in, in the space you've got. And then very last thing, I think I would be assessing my own comfort level in terms of those sensory bases that we spoke about earlier. So my guess would be that on a balcony, you're not going to want mud outside of seed planting. You maybe don't want sand, although I don't know. I guess it depends on your level of comfort there with sand being trailed into the house. It does hoover quite easily, but, but probably I would be thinking like some basic water play like if you're happy with the potential of you know containing water on your balcony and that even doesn't really need to look like anything complicated I mean my children's favorite is just a stainless steel mixing bowl with some water in it and a few jugs for pouring actually 
that kind of water play can happen perfectly on a balcony. Yeah, so I think I think that's where I'd go for balcony. I love that. I think I even I, as I'm reading the question, I'm thinking, oh gosh, that's just a tough spot to be in. But I love your spin of no, it's perfect because you're so easily able to extend your indoor space into your outdoor space with a sliding door or whatever it is that connects you to your balcony. I could imagine putting a little pair of binoculars in the corner yeah. and having like a little nature observation quiet time. Like what can you see? And wildlife doesn't have to be extreme. It could be squirrels and pigeons. I mean, if you're in an urban setting, if it's a living creature, even if you're just watching other people walk around the park, you know, like that's all to a child that can all still be so magical. And so just making that space somewhere where you just practice being present outside, including just putting down a little mat and taking whatever you were doing inside to sit on the balcony instead. That's just such a such a positive way to think about that. Love that answer. I would say as well, you know, we haven't touched on you know, for those people that don't have their own outdoor space and I think that is quite common if people that are in apartments that don't, you know, they don't even have the luxury of a balcony. And I think there are exceptions, but a lot of these things you can actually take out into public spaces. So I think those materials that you're working on indoors, you can, in the most part, pack them up in a bag with a rug and take them to your park. Of course, we don't have the flexibility if it's not our own space, but there is still an awful lot that we can do. And I, I think that comes down to almost rethinking how we see those public spaces and how we can use them and actually the you know the the limit with that is just it's just the limits that we set for ourselves and I've seen some really lovely examples of where parents have found muddy areas in public spaces (laughs) you know they can take their children with a a spade and a bucket and and enjoy mud play in a public place you there really are so many options even if you aren't fortunate enough to have to have your own outdoor space. And that definitely complements in the last episode, we say just pack for it, just sort of plan for it. So like if you do have to go out to a public area to find muddy play, and now you're concerned about, well, now I have to put them back in the car all muddy, bring a change of clothes, bring another pair of shoes, you know, whatever, bring some wipes, wipe them down, grab a towel, whatever it is, so that you could still have the experience without that adult-driven anxiety mm-hmm. behind it. Yeah, we have a little kit that we take with us whenever we're out, and it has, yes, spare clothes for both children, a towel, a bucket, a mini spade, and a couple of vehicles. And I think that actually, particularly if you don't have a garden, just just having that ready in your bag so you haven't got the stress of, you know, the kids are going to get dirty and what am I going to do actually is, is simple, um, but it's just... Yeah, and then you're prepared and they are able to independently do whatever they're kind of into in that outdoor environment, wherever you may be which is what we we want. I think just the major takeaway from the whole conversation for me is that much like everything else with Montessori is we see these curated perfect spaces that are an arm and a leg to outfit properly, right? Properly, quote unquote. And we think, I can't do that. I just can't do that. Like that's just not attainable to me. And you had just broke this down in a way that it makes it so simple, so attainable. I mean, if you're able to literally leave the structure that you're living in, then you can have outdoor play, <laughs> whatever that needs to look like for you. If you can get outside, just want to thank you because I think that this was an awesome and insightful conversation. I love when we can talk to people that rejuvenate our take on the whole philosophy or just ways to extend it past what we feel like we're already doing comfortably, mm-hmm. right? Like this is going to push me a little bit out of my comfort zone, but I'm really excited to try these things. 
things. So thank you. And I feel like probably people, if they're listening, if they haven't already seen your account, they're going to want to see some examples. They're going to want to know more about you and all of your amazing information. So where can our listeners go to find you and your content? So we are on Instagram and we're at our.montessori.garden. So yeah, find us there. I love it. And it sounds like you've got some really great interviews and other conversations with some other great specialists on there too. So I'm going to do my best as I'm going through and editing to go find links to those people. And I'll put those links in the show notes so that they can maybe look into some of those other experts. But yeah, I would definitely start with going to Becky's Instagram account and just be blown away like we were when it encouraged us to beg her to please come (laughs) teach us, come teach us, be on our show. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun. I absolutely love talking Montessori with Montessori. Yes. Obviously, yeah. so do we. We kind of have a problem. So uh, keep me updated on how it goes in your garden. I will. But I've got to say, by the way, I absolutely love your accents. <laughs> this is so cool. Thank you so, so much. Everybody notices Rachel's accent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> True. And okay. <laughs> I guess do I need to say... Let's finish out the show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. I can go first because this is very fresh on my mind. My toddler uses the toilet now, so we travel with the toilet in the car. And on the long road trip to Baltimore, yes, I peed in the toilet, you know, so. In his toilet? Yes, in his toilet. I I feel like that's like somewhat acceptable. (laughs) That was going to be my Sharon, Rachel. Okay. You can still share because this part of it is not acceptable at all of what I'm about to share. So yesterday (laughs) I had um, a very busy morning. I had to take my daughter to get her like lip and tongue checked because she had some ties. We got released. It was a one week follow up and I had that at 10, but I have to get my little boy by noon. So I had like a two hour window, but we also had I had to go grocery shopping because we were eating like frozen fruit. Like we had nothing. (laughs) Garrett was like, we've reached a low, Rachel. We have to go to the, yeah. Been there. So I was like, okay, so I'm going to go to Costco. And it's just her. She'll either baby wear or whatever. So I'm like racing. I drink my water and I have to pee so bad, you guys. And I did not have time to pee in Costco. So what did I do? I peed in my little boy's toilet in the Costco parking (laughs) (laughs) lot. Okay, hold on. I need some, I need some. Um, other information. So I need more details. <laughs> so where does the toilet live? Did you, is it like in the back? Did you have to like crawl back there? Yeah, I literally got out of my car and walked to the trunk. <laughs> was the door was it open? Oh, like the tailgate open? I definitely closed the tailgate. No, she's no, not no. an animal, Megan. She's <laughs> she's, a, she's lady. a lady. <laughs> I closed the tailgate. I got a baby wipe because I had nothing else, and I yeah. peed and wiped myself, and then Perfect. I dumped it and moved on. <laughs> and that I just is- prayed to God that no old person at Costco at ten thirty in the morning saw me peeing in the back of my car. <laughs> hashtag relatable yeah oh yeah it's so hard because like how are you supposed to especially when you have little ones well only when you have little ones if you don't have little ones like go in the bathroom (laughs) yeah you're probably not carrying around a tiny toilet everywhere if you don't have little ones but like you have to take them out of the car and then like take them to the bathroom and then what do you do with them while they're in the bathroom like if they're mobile it's a whole they like to like crawl underneath the yeah the door or the stall and hug the other toilets hug the other hypothetically toilet. yeah i don't know where that i don't know never happened to me toddlers um, that do that but yeah that's 
Rachel's just gone. <laughs> she just <laughs> caught up and walked away. <laughs> it's her confession and she's out. <laughs> she's out. <laughs> All right, Laura. I'm guessing the baby started crying. So yeah, so I'll I'll do my confession. This one's a this one's a quick little one. So my husband, actually, sorry, there's some there's a visual that goes with this. She, wait, just please wait right there. Please hold. Everyone just keeps walking away. <laughs> Now Laura's gone. <laughs> Sorry, my daughter lost her passy. Okay, my husband uh, jokingly bought me this tiny USB powered dustbuster oh vacuum. It's tiny, isn't it? The cutest thing you've ever seen. It's like the size so of a cute. small um, pencil sharpener. That's not a good thing to compare. Yeah, that's. <laughs> That's not a connection I would have made at all. And I spent an exorbitant amount of time around pencil sharpeners as a classroom teacher. <laughs> just something so obscure. I'm sorry. I what would you compare that size to? Like a mouse like you remember an old school mouse? Remember oh, when you used to have a, like mouse a mouse plug into your computer instead of like a trackpad on your laptop? No, I'm too young. I don't I don't know. <laughs> I'm a baby. I don't know. Okay, well, I hate you, and this this little cutie has become, like, my best friend. Am I having a snack at my laptop? No problem. Zip, 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 zip. <laughs> I scratch my head and 18 white hairs come out because I'm a 1,000 years old. No problem. Zip, 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 zip. <laughs> there is no mess that I cannot tackle. And this is why he got it for me. He's like, you seem like the kind of psychopath that needs a tiny vacuum everywhere that you go. And I do. Does it actually and I work? love it. Yeah, it does. Um, okay. Ironically, this laptop does not have a USB input. So again, you have to wait a second for me to plug it into something. But, I don't um, need to see it. <laughs> I don't <laughs> care enough for this. It makes the cutest little sound. It's like, <laughs> and it does. It actually works. I love it. I love my little baby vacuum. <laughs> she gives it kisses. And that's it. My confession is it was supposed to be a joke and it turns out. You love it. <laughs> love it. <laughs> cannot recommend enough i'm really happy for you thank you thank you so my confession that's what we're talking about so my confession one of the reasons that i was not able to record with you guys and talk to becky was because i was going up to the beach with my family it sounds fun it wasn't Mostly because it was not like a vacation. My husband had to work. And so I was still just like parenting solo, but up there because they're not in school. And so I thought it was going to be like this really fun time where I was going to take them to the beach and we were going to go do fun (laughs) things. And it was in some ways, I can't fully complain, but I will still kind of complain. So I woke up one morning and I just the first morning and I decided I was going to walk to the coffee shop by the beach and then I was going to get a coffee and then right across the way is like the boardwalk and there's like a a beach playground and I was like this is gonna be so much fun it's gonna be so great I start walking and I get yelled at by this woman on the side of the road who is obviously has some thing going on with her I'm not gonna assume but anyway she yelled at me about how my children were not mine and that they were the lords and that I just did the animal act and she's like screaming at me but I'm I'm on a corner and I can't cross the street because there's cars going by and it's super busy so I just have to you're just trapped there just trapped and she's yelling at me and she's not happy with me (laughs) because they don't belong to me (laughs) 
And so finally I get away and I cross the street and I go to go into the coffee shop and I have my double stroller and both of my kids and I go to get through the door and this guy who has been watching me get yelled at obviously feels bad for me. So he goes to open the door for me. And I was like, thank you so much. You know, we have a wide load here because I have this wide double stroller. And he was like, yeah, you really do. And to think that you're expecting your third congratulations. Oh my God. And at that point I was like, I'm going home. I don't even want to be here. <laughs> yeah. Backstory. Megan is not pregnant. I am right not now. pregnant. <laughs> even a little bit. Not even a little Who bit. Who says that? Who and this is that? just like, I'm just going to take this opportunity to say, never assume that someone is pregnant no. or not pregnant no. or, or just, just don't. We don't talk <laughs> about other people's bodies. It's a rule that we people's they bodies. share when they're ready to share if it's actually a thing. Otherwise, yeah. keep your mouth shut. <laughs> it's simple, guys. It's simple. At that point, I was like, this trip is doomed. So that was day one. And then we went to the park and then my daughter pooped on the structure and then we had to leave. So <laughs> so basically a phenomenal day out on the town. Such a good morning. And I'm like what a sweating, vacation. pushing this double stroller on the sand. It was just oof in the sand. Dude, the I can barely sand. move my own body in the sand, let <laughs> yeah. alone two other people in a wheeled contraption. Yeah. So wow. that's my confession is that apparently I look pregnant and I'm fine about it. I don't even care. I can tell. I can tell that you are doing really, really well, mm-hmm. and it has not at all traumatized you or just damaged you. <laughs> I'm just you. coming to this episode just traumatized. <laughs> so much trauma. So much trauma. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, review, and rate. We are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can, Is it Apple Podcasts or Apple Podcasts? I think it's Good plural, question. but I'll look at it right know. now. It's plural, podcasts, which that STS sandwich is no joke when you're saying it out loud on microphone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me just take a sip of water really fast. Yeah, that should fix it. <laughs> we are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay wild. Nice, 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 nice. Oh my gosh. I need to go to bed. (laughs) 